Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and a special guest today, Father Pius Petrick. Oh, thank you. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Father Pius Petrick teaches at St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. The Archdiocese of San Francisco. The Archdiocese of San Francisco. Founded, the Archdiocese was, by one of our own Dominican friars. Was really? Was the first, first, Archbishop of San, first Bishop of San Francisco. And who is that? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. Give me 10 minutes and I'll remember his name. Father Alamani? Uh, yeah, Father, Father Alamani. Father Alamani. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Father Pius teaches a course about um, the sacrament of penance and anointing. And so today we're going to speak about uh, those sacraments that we receive when we're sick or at the end of our life, especially the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, the viaticum, and also the apostolic pardon. Uh, so Father Pius, maybe you could give us a little bit of the of the history of the anointing of the sick? Well, it's an interesting one. We don't have a lot uh, of history of it in the early church. There were certainly blessings for oil in the early church, although mm-hmm. those were often taken home and often actually even cooked into food. Uh, that oh. blessed oil, they were part of, they were meant to be consumed. Uh, but there's no really uh, procedure for it. There's no ritual for it really until the Carolingian reforms about the ninth century or so. So when you have these new liturgical books because of the centralization of it under the Carolingians, you begin to get liturgical books. And for the most part, until from the 800s until really the 1960s, it was fairly stable. It was really the same process, more or less. Some changes were made, but a great deal of stability, particularly with the uh, anointing of the different uh, senses, mm-hmm. uh, which is now gone, uh, which has been uh, removed from, from the current rite. Uh, and much of the language stayed fairly consistent, again, for about a thousand years or so until, mm. until the Second Vatican Council. Um, and the idea was, you know, sometimes we get this idea that the anointing of the sick is for for people who are just about to die. And, you, I, and I remember when I was in the parish, sometimes people get a little nervous, right? They didn't want to call Father because <laughs> because if you call Father, the, the patient would say, uh-oh, they know something and they're not telling me. That's why Father is here, because I'm about to die and they won't tell me. No, 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 no. The sacrament of the anointing of the sick, from, even from the Council of Trent talks about this, is, is, a, is a sacrament for the sick. Uh, now, death always has to be kind of in the horizon there, or the sick or the elderly. Uh, the death always has to be kind of the specter in the background. It's not just when you have a cold or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when because of illness uh, or even injury uh, one or, or age, uh, one is in some sort of threat, but it doesn't have to be right at the point of death. I think, uh, but although it became really the norm, the the idea in the minds of most Catholics, the name of it probably helped with that when it was called extreme unction. You know, if you've got older listeners, they they'll remember that. But even the Council of Trent referred to it as the anointing of the sick, although the extreme unction became the more popular title for it. The last anointing. The last anointing, and it was and it was meant mm-hmm. as a last. And you can see this, uh, and the Council talks about it as well. Second Vatican Council as well as Trent. 
is it, it was it was specifically meant to uh, to be a, a parallel to the first anointing, so that when one enters into the into the Christian life, there is always an anointing. One one cannot be baptized without anointing. In the earliest church, that anointing was chrismation. That was what we would call uh, confirmation today. But there was always baptism with anointing, so that one's entry into the life with Christ included anointing, and therefore one's exit from the life of, from this world into a new life with Christ was also done with mm. a, an anointing, specifically calling to mind that initial uh, anointing, mm. as it were, rounding out the Christian life from anointing mm. to anointing uh, Christ. Because what is what does what is who is the Messiah? Mm. He is the, the anointed, anointed one, one right. Right. right? And so we mm-hmm. we enter into the life of the anointed one by being anointed mm. in him. And all sacraments are connected to his anointing, which is not necessarily by oil, but by his own blood, right? It's by the cross in which he's truly anointed. He's also anointed, of course, at the beginning of his ministry with the Holy Spirit, as we are as well. And so we enter into Christ more specifically uh, by that, by joining with him, by being anointed. This shows a real in, um, integral shape to the Christian life. Right. You know, just as the the Son of God was took flesh of the Virgin and was born at Bethlehem, that he might die nine miles away in Jerusalem, that he was born the sacrificial land to be sacrificed in this wonderful Passover. So the Christian who enters into the death of Christ in baptism finishes the, by entering the mystery of his own death. Right. And in the in the last anointing, and, and this of course has church. a scriptural root. This um, mm-hmm. St. James mentions mm-hmm. the, this as apostolic practice, right? And and the mm-hmm. you know there was in the earliest days there wasn't that connotation in the very earliest church. It was not mm-hmm. the association with with that chapter, but really again after the Carolingian reforms, that becomes the centerpiece for the church's understanding of the sacrament mm-hmm. of anointing is James five, uh, in which the anointing is given to those if you are sick, call for the priests, which gives you mm-hmm. an indication, right? Why is why are you calling for the priest? Because the man isn't well enough to go to the priest. Mm-hmm. He's so sick, the priests need mm-hmm. to come to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the priests come to him to anoint him uh, in the name of the church. Uh, and also it, re- it mentions there specifically the forgiveness of sins as well. But I just wanted to pick up on your point as well, is that we, we remind ourselves that the, the sanctifying power of the church sanctifies us in time. Right, it sanctifies us at various points in our lives, particularly at important vocational moments. You know, we think about our entry into uh, the life of Christ, especially with the three sacraments of what we call today initiation, mm-hmm. which at one time were all combined, uh, and then throughout our life as well. When when one enters in marriage, when one enters mm-hmm. the vocation to the priesthood, uh, when one uh, throughout the life and those occasions of sin where we have to have recourse to the sacrament of penance, and then of course, especially at the end of our life with with. Uh, the anointing of the sick, so that our our life is punctuated by these moments of grace, these moments, especially of sacramental grace, that continue to uh, join us with Christ. And which reminds us, right, is we're not Protestants. We don't believe in this one time for all uh, uh, joining myself to Christ. I, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and personal Savior. Oh, I'm done. Yay, I've been saved. No, 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 no. Uh, our life is a continual conversion in which grace is constantly needed to raise us up to the things of God uh, by our own limitation of the flesh, by original sin, and by our own personal sin. All of these need constant curing so that the real life of faith, which is about conversion, right, about inner conversion, it's not the externals help provide that, particularly in the sacraments, but about that constant inner conversion, and that there are safe, there are moments in our life where we need that more than at other moments. And the moment of death is one of the important ones, because, as the Church mentions, at the moment of death, what happens? Well, one, we're facing the unknown. So it's a time of fear. 
And the church has always seen that this, the devil, really, you know, he wants to use that, right? He wants mm-hmm. to take the person who even has been faithful his, own li- his whole life, fill him with fear, and allow him to kind of collapse at that moment so the devil can invest. I mean, the devil's just waiting to pounce at those last moments. Mm-hmm. It's his last chance to snatch you away. And so you need this kind of special grace at the, at the moment of death to, to give you the courage uh, and the strength uh, to be able to persevere because— the great gift of God is that final perseverance, so that, that despite the difficulties, we think about courage and taking on a, being brave in difficult moments, but perseverance is about bravery, not in the face of an enemy in battle, but, but the enemy of time itself, and how difficult uh, uh, it can be, and that especially towards the end of our life, the weight of, of waiting, as it were, for the Lord becomes very difficult, and we need the grace of the sacrament to help us. I think of, you know, these patterns we see in Scripture all the time. For instance, of the Song of Songs, we have the bride who arises in the middle of the night to quest after her bridegroom who has been peeking through the lattices, you know, and he can't be found, and he's disappeared, now she goes questing for him. This is classic, I think, in great Catholic literature. Like, if you think of the matter of Britain in the Middle Ages, you know, you King Arthur's Knights, you know, you've always got, there's a questing involved, you know, and in each juncture in the journey, whatever the quest is for the Holy Grail or or to rescue some damsel, there's always, you know, there's a dwarf sitting by the bridge, or there's <laughs> like a, 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 a knight in black armor who appears to challenge you. You know, there is um, a hermit who explains the meaning and the importance of the perilous chapel you're about to enter, that there is all this. And this is really the familiar territory to the Catholic Christian, because in those moments, like as you speak, you know, there is grace, there is healing. We may not understand it entirely, but it comes by this touch of Christ by which he shares his spirit, sometimes in this one, directly in the sign of anointing. And what actually what you, what you mentioned brings to mind me my, one of my favorite Catholic poems, which is The Hound of Heaven by Francis mm-hmm. Thompson, in which, which it, it's sort of the reverse quest. It's the man who seeks pleasure in everything. But it of the world, but and, and behind it all it, are those footsteps of Christ, right? Uh, Francis has this great uh, reverberation of this this sound of Christ constantly following you while you're running all over the world trying to find happiness until kind of uh, sort of stripped of everything. Mm-hmm. You finally realize nothing, none of this makes me happy, and the Christ who has has been following me this whole time, I finally let him catch up to me, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and finally, he's the one that grabs me and brings me to him. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful example of, and, and the ways in which Christ is always there throughout these moments in our life, wanting to be present uh, and allowing uh, him to be present through the, the ministry of the church mm-hmm. into these various and sacred moments uh, of our own life. And, and while the sacraments are the premier uh, examples of this. Uh, we shouldn't discount the ways in which this occurs in a variety of other ma- means, especially ecclesially, in the life of blessing, in the life of prayer, in the life of our communal gathering together, uh, in worship, that these are all these moments mm-hmm. in which our life gets permeated. It's it's It makes a special sense to us who live the religious life, in which we see mm-hmm. this not simply over the course of our life in years, but over the course of the day in hours, as we gather together several times a day to pray the liturgy of the hours, so that the whole day gets punctuated. And in a sense, of course, as we realize as religious, particularly if you if you enter into, uh, you know, as I I was giving a, a conference to our nuns in, in New Jersey, in Summit, New Jersey, and I was reminding them that, of course, the norm of their life is prayer, 
Mm. Right, coming together for the liturgy of the hour is the norm. It's having it's only because of our limitation that they have to go out and do the things they need to do to, to sustain their life in other ways by all the work that they do. But it's that constancy of prayer that's the reality. That's what the true life is, uh, and everything else that we mm. do that has to lead to you know the things that we have to do in the world are kind of the exception. But we don't think of it that way. We think of the prayer mm-hmm. as the exception, you know, and uh, the normal life as. Uh, you know, uh, what we do from day to day. And One thing I ask of the Lord, uh, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Yeah. Right yeah. And it's only because of our limitation that we're not able to do that. Right. You're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and also Father Pius Petrick. I'm from St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. We've been discussing um, <clears throat> those sacraments and, and gifts of the Church, which we seek when we're sick or facing um, our own death, anointing of the sick, viaticum, and the apostolic pardon. Um, we've been talk, speaking about the anointing, how that is a sacrament of strength, that just as we are strengthened by the anointing with blessed oil at the beginning of our life, at our baptism, including the oil of catechumens, which is before we're even baptized. So the anointing of the sick um, is that anointing on the other end of the spectrum of life uh, to help us face um, not our sacramental baptism, but but literally passing through the valley of the shadow of death, um, looking forward to the resurrection. Um, and uh, we've been discussing how that's, how Christ pursues us, how our life is punctuated by by grace, um, the sacraments punctuate our life. Other things, other avenues of grace, including our prayer, really punctuate our life. Or we might say better, as Father Pius was saying, you know, prayer is punctuated by life. You know, prayer is the real, the real life that we'll enjoy in beatitude. But, but that's, this is, the, the anointing is one thing that's often at the end of life. Um, what, one, one thing that sometimes comes up is, is what are, when is anointing appropriate? Father Pius, you mentioned that probably not for a cold, but sometimes other questions come up. You know, like what if someone has a mental illness, for example? Or what if someone has, uh, okay. say, a, a chronic illness that's not maybe life-threatening, but it's very difficult for them? Are there, can you give us some guidance on when one should seek that strength in it, the sacrament? Sure. It's always understood that the sacrament is really about uh, the sick, but it also has to do with the prospect of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that one has to be a near death, but death the, the danger of death must be present. Now, obviously, we all live a limited existence. The danger of death is present for mm-hmm. all of us at all times. But what we're talking about is that risk becomes really present uh, to someone. It becomes much more real to someone. And that has to be due to illness or old age. Uh, now, in illness, I think there's been some uh, sort of debate amongst the doctors about whether uh, mental illness counts. I think it probably does. Uh, if that mental illness makes it much more likely that you will suffer death. So I think there's a possibility. I would certainly advocate for this. Uh, If someone suffers from a severe mental illness in which they, through compulsion rather than free will, uh, suicide or something is more likely, then that might be a candidate for Mm -hmm. for something like uh, an anointing of the sick. 
So, but but it doesn't. But it's not for things that um, that aren't really don't really cause one to be ill. So, for example, uh, if one is going into surgery, one usually thinks, "Oh, one ought to be anointed to go to surgery." Well, not if it's cosmetic surgery, right? Because there's <laughs> there's no they, because that you're, the danger of death is the surgery itself, not the underlying sickness, mm. uh, right? So uh, so not in that particular case. So let me throw you a question. Okay, <laughs> I'm a canon lawyer. I get them all the time. Mm, all right. So I was at Lords. Okay, on pilgrimage, and it came to a point where it, they were anointing the sick, the faithful, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I I get this someone go up and get go ahead, get been anointed, and I said, well, Jesus, I'm not sick. I know. He said, you have diabetes. You have a deadly disease, which will result in blindness and amputation if you are not careful of it. It will it will shorten your life. You know. So he, I, I understood him to be telling me at least on that occasion to go get myself anointed. Yeah, it, I, I, one thing is, is some of these it's hard to make uh, general rules for this. A lot of this is um, individual, person by person. In the case, yeah. And certainly, diabetes is a lack of health. It shows a lack of integrity of the body. And if one is in such a position that that lack of integrity in the body makes death a real, you know, a real guest in the room, uh, then I think it's appropriate for one to be anointed. Mm-hmm. And if that if that diabetes gets worse or that death is significantly more significantly closer, one ought to be anointed again. The same with age. If, if someone gets so old enough that death is very close, uh, then one ought to be anointed. And then if if one's uh, fragility because of age gets significantly worse, significantly more fragile, then one can be anointed again, uh, e- even in age. W- what we shouldn't be doing is having you know this the free for all uh, uh, healing mass in which everybody comes up. You know, even the perfectly healthy eighteen year old, right? This mm-hmm. or the caregivers come up because we don't want to leave anyone out. This is not mm-hmm. what the sacrament is for. Mm-hmm. Sacrament is for help for those who are who are for whom. There is a real danger of death, mm. whether by illness or by old age, and that's all. Uh, because for everyone else, th- then you're applying the sacrament. It's not valid because there's no valid matter, right? To use the the language of the sacraments, the valid matter is someone who is ill and in danger of death. Mm. And so, what what is that then? If you're if you're applying a sacrament in which there's no valid matter, it's what? It's the simulation of a sacrament, which is of course a canonical crime. And there are other sacraments which whose whose meaning, I think, better expresses the healing that Christ is trying to give us, the Holy Eucharist itself, yeah. you know, the gift of his body. The most important. You know, the uh, spiritual healing and confession, mm-hmm. you know, and even the, the use of other popular... Uh, or even the blessings, right? It just, right exactly. just because we can't give you the sacrament of anointing, you can, if, you've, if you've sick, you know, if you have the flu or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or coronavirus and you're not at risk of death, you know, a blessing is just fine. Um, and that, again, it's a way in which the church is there present with you. Mm-hmm. The power of Christ or the priest is made present to you, even if it's not sacramental. And the most important, uh, let's, I just want to mention these very quickly. We don't have a whole lot of time, but I just want to mention when we think of the very end of life, right? We think especially of Viaticum. Right. And it's the most important is uh, the long tradition of the church is, is that the people of God have a moral obligation. People of God have a moral obligation to request viaticum when they are very close to death. When they are on death's doorstep, they, they are required to do so. Now, most people these days, because of modern medicine, are usually kind of not cognizant when they're that close to death. But if you are cognizant and you know death is near, as a Catholic, you must request it, and therefore a priest has the counter-obligation to provide it. Viaticum meaning receiving Holy Communion. Receiving Holy Communion at the moment of death, or as close as close you as are possible. to the moment of death. And that can happen. You know, I, re- I remember a man who was, when I was in uh, ministry, who was uh, in, in the Diocese of Columbus. 
he was very ill with cancer and he was dying at home. Uh, and you can give it more than one day. I gave him viaticum for about six days, I think, every day mm-hmm. until he finally died. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is what we should be doing, right? And this, this is exactly the right way to enter into life. It's, viaticum means it, it's for the way. Uh, uh, viaticum, mm-hmm. yeah, with you on the way. With you on the way. It's the food for the journey, uh, mm-hmm. which is the way the Gospels describe it. So it's the food for your journey, the journey from this life into the next one. Right. And Elijah I, I, was given bread to eat, so he might give travel mm-hmm. four days and forty nights to Arab. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was given he was given bread by mm-hmm. the hand of God. This is the bread uh, for us. Right. Um, one one practical thing I've noticed is that many people, if they end up going to the hospital, uh, sometimes if they're in the ICU or if they end up being on a ventilator, it becomes almost impossible to give Holy Communion. So yeah. I think it's good. Um, to request Holy Communion, if possible, before you go to the hospital. Yeah. For the same reason, if you if you know if there's a serious illness that you have, you might want to request anointing before you go. Because uh, many times I've had someone just come to me in, in in the quiet sanctuary of the church, you know, to give them the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and give them a little bit more of the fuller rite of the sacrament. You can give them Holy Communion if you're in an ICU and you know. Nurses are coming in and out, and all all the different IV yeah. machines are beeping. It's it's not. I mean, you and know, confession too, right? Right, and confession. Yeah, and that leads to another another um, thing. Um, anointing. One of the effects of the anointing of the sick is the forgiveness of sins. Correct. Sure. So so how is it? How how does then going to confession and then being anointed? Um, so let, let's just be, make some some points for us very clear. <laughs> the ordinary way for the forgiveness of, of, of mortal sin is the sacrament of confession. The right. ordinary way for the forgiveness of mortal sin is... So uh, this is assuming, of course, that uh, with the anointing, that you've already gone to confession. Okay. And so the sacrament is there to provide if, if you're not able to. And even if you're anointed, you should receive it with the intention that if you are, if you be, get better and you can go to mm-hmm. confession, then you go to confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the ordinary way for forgiveness of mortal sins is still the sacrament of confession. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you should receive anointing. Uh, you know, if you're receiving anointing, you should you should still have a, a sense of sorrow for your sins. Any sins that you can recall, you should be sorrowful for. Uh, and any sins that you might not even be aware of, you should be sorrowful for anything you might have done to offend God. And you should receive it specifically with the intention of going to the sacrament of confession should you recover. Mm. Right. And now this is also one of the reasons why really the anointing of the sick is, is mainly only for people who are past the age of reason, correct? Yeah. Not for very young children? No. It's not for... It's not for now, obviously, you don't have to have access to reason. You have to have at some point attain the use of reason. Mm-hmm. You, if you fall back out of it, you can still receive it. Um, but no, it only goes, if you've never attained the, the age of reason, then your baptism should cover you, right? In mm-hmm. a sense, if you want to use that language. In the sense that you've, you've since begun forgiveness in baptism, and since you've never attained the use of reason, you can't sin personally. And therefore, just as you would not need recourse to the sacrament of confession, you wouldn't need recourse to the anointing. Okay. That's good. Yeah, that's a very delicate thing. I mean, when I've gone to the hospital and there's a, a very, very young child you know, that's very sick, you know, I'll often try to explain that I can give them a blessing, yeah. but they don't really need the anointing of the sick. Right, right. And if depending on their age, you might talk to the bishop about giving them communion. Uh, if if they can, if they have enough reason to understand what they're receiving, mm-hmm. that's another difficult question, depending on how old they are. Mm-hmm. And one, and one of the, la- the other part of the, the last rites is the apostolic pardon. Um, this is something that many Catholics aren't really aware of. Some Some are. 
Um, but it's Sadly, special... many priests aren't even aware of. The Incaridian, yeah. the Incaridian is very clear. The Handbook of Indulgence is very clear that says a priest must not forget, must not fail to give the apostolic pardon whenever he gives a sacrament to those who are in danger of death. So it is the mm-hmm. obligation of a priest, every time he gives sacraments to those who are in danger of death, to also give the apostolic pardon, which is a plenary indulgence, which uh, which provides for uh, the remission of all temporal punishment due to sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it acts as a plenary indulgence. And in addition, if a priest isn't available, the faithful who are regularly pray, the Church grants that plenary indulgence to them at the moment of death, mm-hmm. even if a priest is not available, and mm-hmm. then supplies for the other requirements for the plenary indulgence. So if you want to retain that plenary indulgence at the end of your life, make sure that you're regularly praying throughout your life mm-hmm. uh, so that mm-hmm. the plenary indulgence can be applied, and the priest should always give that indulgence. Uh, since the sacrament of anointing is always given to those in danger of death, then the, then the indulgence of the apostolic pardon should also always be given by the priest uh, really? in conjoined with the sacrament of anointing. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. There's no question. Okay. So we should do a show on prayer sometime. Yeah. Regularly <laughs> play. See, if, you're not, if you're not playing your rosary you know, uh, regularly or some prayer regularly, <clears throat> then you are missing, your, you are missing out on uh, this indulgence. And, and the, the Incaridian reminds the pastors of the church that they are to make sure that the people of God are informed about this. So mm. uh, as the pastors of the church, you've got to make sure that your people are aware of this indulgence and the ways in which they can obtain it and, and seek it. Well, it's good to know that even if, they, if, if someone dies without the apostolic pardon being specifically given, yeah. if they have been faithful in their prayer, they can still receive. They Not can, but do. do and receive. the church supplies for the other requirements, and, mm, you know, the, wow. praying for the Pope and all those other requirements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think um, I think one thing we that this conversation brings forward, the importance of actually preparing for the moment of death. If your baptism is the point, gives your life dynamism in Christ, your death is the is the door that propels you into the arms of Christ, and there's a whole tradition of the Ars Moriendi of, of dying well. I mean, other cultures have it too. I mean, the Japanese have their Zen warrior culture. It's all about the moment of death. But this, for us, this is about peace. It's entry to New Jerusalem. This is about glory. It's really something that, um, if our life is integral, one in Christ, this moment has to be something towards which we're constantly traveling, constantly questing. Yeah, and, the, and you know, the Church always talks about this with the Sacrament of Anointing. It is precisely for this, right? It's precisely to prepare the person to enter into the next life, uh, to give him the, the strength to be able to do that. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes and Father Pius Petrick. Let's end now in our prayer to St. Dominic. O light of the Church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni Sancti